This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions, and we own this town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? JT, I uh, can't believe we're about to say this, but uh, here's our interview with Alex Winter. Excellent! Alex Winter, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. First off, congratulations on Face the Music. We've been talking about it for a while now, and you guys really stuck the landing. It was just delightful. Top to bottom, we, we loved every bit of it, so fantastic job oh, there. Thanks. Yeah, we worked hard for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. Also, crazy good year for you. I mean, uh, Showbiz Kids, that that uh, fantastic film, a lot of accolades, and now you've got Zappa coming up. So 2020... Okay. It's been terrible in almost every way, but at least you've got three bright spots. So. Yes, yes. Thanks for the content. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm nothing if not uh, you know one for timing. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, it's been a, a very challenging year for everybody. Um, obviously, you know, these were all projects that started many years ago. Uh, they just happen to be rolling out in this challenging time. In terms of Bill and Ted, you know, we did have an option. Uh, to just stick it on a shelf for a couple of years. And we really felt that it wasn't right for the fans to do that. They'd been so instrumental in getting the film made. And um, it was such a big part of why we were able to even uh, get financed. And, and to wait another couple of years just felt cruel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it It would have been crushing. It would have been crushing. Yeah. So thanks. I was curious because that was in development for so long. Um, you know, there's this mythical barbecue that happened about 10 years ago where Chris yeah. and Ed pitched it to you. Was the yeah. final product like most of the DNA there from the original pitch or did it develop uh, in unexpected avenues over the past 10 years? A little of both. You know, to be fair to Chris and Ed, uh, they came to us with a pretty formed concept, um, but not a not a movie. Uh, but they had a very formed concept that remained intact. Um, and Keanu and I thought it was really great. And, and it was surprising to us because, honestly, the four of us never thought we really needed to, to do another one. And we'd all remain very close. So, we, you know, we would see each other all the time, but it never it never came up. And this time they just, they said, you know, we think we have something that might actually be funny. And it was, we thought it was not only funny, but, but we also thought it was equally heartwarming. Sort of this, the notion of addressing the characters this much later and just absolutely playing them as they are at this age and not trying to pretend they're kind of like, you know, frozen in time uh, and having families and dealing with the rigors of life uh, in sort of normal terms. We thought, we thought that was a very sweet way into playing the characters as well as something that would potentially be quite funny. Yeah, it, it it totally worked. When we talked to Jonathan Leahy, the the music supervisor, you know he he pointed out there are a thousand and one ways to get that movie wrong, and you guys didn't do any of them. I mean, you you, you threaded the needle, you <laughs> did it. The, so. That's the upside to spending ten years trying to find the money. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Amen. <laughs> um, one other like Bill and Ted question that's been on like top of my brain. I I always promised I'd ask you when you were playing Bill and Ted originally, like in the first film. Did you and Keanu approach Bill and Ted as separate characters or one unit? And did that kind of change for Face the Music? Because it seems like, you know, Ted has this crisis of confidence and, and Bill's really taken up the mantle and like, you know, we can fix this. So w was that something that changed over time? Uh, not really. I think that, that funnily enough to, to Keanu and myself, the characters have always been quite different. Um, 
and have always viewed the world somewhat differently, even though they're incredibly close friends and they have a lot in common and they finish each other's sentences and things like that. Um, I mean, to be fair, to your point, we did discuss the fact that we wanted them to not feel like cartoon characters. And so I think that naturally what comes with age, we didn't, we didn't want them to feel like they still were completely devoid of understanding the world around them because it, it felt like if you, if you played them that way, then as husbands and as fathers, it's that's kind of pathetic, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like we always really, we always like, we really like these guys. Like we, we gen, you know, we don't look down on them when we play them, and and um, you can get away with with that sort of view of the world when you're in high school. But you know, once you enter the real world, there has to be some degree of of awareness. So we certainly wanted to play them with more. Uh, the the effects of life experience having weighed on them a little bit. And I think that kind of amplified what you're talking about, but it really grew out of an orga organic place for us. And I know it sounds like we, we maybe put too much thought into this, but we, we do put a lot of thought. <laughs> uh, we wanted it to grow organically from, from who the differences that we always felt the characters had, which is that Ted was always a little bit more skeptical. Bill was always the one who would kind of jump off the cliff and then find out there's no water at the other end. <laughs> um, and so it's all kind of magnified that way. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. One of the things that we first discussed and that we learned doing this podcast was the Easter egg and that there was an actual Zappa connection to, uh, to Excellent Adventure. Um, yes. With two heads better than one being pinned by Dweezil Zappa. I'm curious, you know, in the 80s when you first moved to L.A., were you personally a Zappa fan? How, what was your entry point into Zappa? Um, I, I, I was a... I was interested in Zappa in the seventies. You know, I'm, I'm old enough that I was, I was I vividly remember seeing him on it on Saturday night live when he appeared. Um, I think it was the second appearance when he did dancing fool and it really having an impact on me, um, that he just seemed like a, a very interesting character culturally, not just musically like George Carlin and Richard Pryor and other people from that era who were doing really interesting things that kind of cross genres. And, uh, so I had an interest in Zappa, um, uh, my interest in him musically uh, grew uh, in adulthood, to be honest with you. I, I got him more as I got older. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, when I was first in L.A., you know, look, I, I was a fan of, of Dweezels. Um, you know, we it was the MTV generation. I was around that crowd. He was. Um, he and Moon were, you know, were very, were doing very interesting things culturally in L.A. at that time. And, and then ultimately Ahmed and Diva, the younger siblings, came up and started doing interesting things. Um, so I went to see Dweezil at the Whiskey probably in 90, 90 91. Oh, wow. and, and I remember standing kind of like in the audience with, with Frank, like standing next to me. I didn't know him at all. Oh, wow. I'm feeling very intimidated by that. <laughs> um, so it, it was a part of, of coming up. I was very, uh, I was very uh, amused when I, when I started working on the film and I was spending a lot of time at the Zappa house and his whole office had been left intact to see in, in his cassette box, to see both the Bill and Ted soundtrack cassettes there. Uh, but Dweezil is also, I believe, on Bogus Journey as well as Bill and Ted. And Steve Vai, of course, did a lot of the guitar work in, in Bogus Journey. Um, he did uh, some of our air guitar work, and he wrote that the whole final piece that we do that leads into the Kiss song was all Vi. Mm. Um, and he and I spoke about that when I when I interviewed him for Zappa. But I've you know stayed a little bit in touch with him over the years and someone that I, that I have a lot of respect for. It's nice with Face the Music, uh, uh, was it Tosin Abasi, who, who does all the shredding? That's a nice handoff there. I think yeah. he's definitely of that, that similar ilk. 
Um, yeah, well, John, I mean, Lee, he did an absolutely genius job. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I, you know, I don't know if he mentioned this when you guys talked to him, but, but he may not have because he's a modest guy. But it was it was an unbelievable amount of work and it was not easy. And there was a lot, a lot of challenges and a lot of times that he was either reconstructing songs or mm-hmm. finding bands. Or the, you know, it was just, you know, he had the he took the, the mantle very seriously <laughs> of trying to construct a an on-brand soundtrack in this many years later right. when music changes <laughs> it have. Yeah. Uh, he really nailed it, but it was not without effort. I mean, he was really, uh, he was burning the midnight oil to make that thing work. You know, we, we got that sense from him, but it was also, you know, when he talked to us, it was the, the burden of a true fan. Like yeah. The guy got the dream yeah. job and, and then he did his that, absolute best with it. That seems to be the common thread when we're talking to all of you guys involved with the movie is that there was just such a love for yeah. the legacy, right? By everyone. Yeah, yeah. We, t- we without without wanting to overburden it with self seriousness because that yeah. was really the line we wanted to draw. We we definitely took it very seriously, and we took the fan engagement part very seriously. Um, and so that was that was the work that Chris Ned had set up for them, and that was you know Keanu and I took that quite seriously playing the characters. Like we want to give them respect, but we also want to make it funny. At the end of the day, <laughs> <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> yep. So with Frank. Uh, when you decide to, to start working on this, however many years ago, uh, you're the first person to get complete access from the from the Zappa Family Trust. Zappa has such a monumental catalog. Where do you even start? Um, I mean, I had a, a, you know, I come from writing narratives, so I, I tend to map these things out like a narrative script. Of course, it gets changed a lot. Your editor is, is such a big part of making docs, and my editor uh, on this, Mike Nichols, was on from the very beginning, um, even before we were financed. So... Um, you know, we started mapping out structures and I had a kind of three act structure in my head. I knew I wasn't trying to tell the whole Zappa story. The guy made, you know, 70 albums in his lifetime, over a hundred all told and had an incredible, you know, life that would fill a 20 episode series easily. (laughs) Um, I wanted to tell a specific story, character driven story about him that made it easier. That gave me a beginning, a middle and an end. And I followed that general structure. And then I found all this amazing archival that would speak to that structure. And Mike and I kind of had a rule to not uh, use media that didn't sort of drive Frank's narrative in some way. If it was just cool, as much as it hurt, we didn't use it. I mean, that had to be a hard call, but uh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the trailer looks fantastic. It it looks like it was brilliantly cut and uh, just the, Footage alone of, of Ruth Underwood just uh, you know made the hair stand back up on my neck. <laughs> wait, wait till you see the movie. She she steals the whole movie. Oh, I, I mean that's great. That's true. Oh, She's incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. My personal probably favorite era of his was with her in the band. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and she's just got amazing stuff to say, and we have incredible never before seen archival from that whole period. So it's pretty great. And that's uh, getting released on on demand on November twenty seventh. Is that correct? That's right from Magnolia Films. Yeah, it'll be it'll be everywhere on on P, PVOD. We're in California, so you, it'll be in theaters and places that aren't on lockdown. But I mean, the way things are going, I guess is the whole country will be on lockdown. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, well, we have a few minutes left, and you mentioned this narrative films. Do, do you see yourself doing another narrative film in the future? Because I would. Yeah, I'm working on a couple. I'm writing a um, a, a cable series right now, um, and uh, I'm working on a feature that I'd like to direct in the next year. So obviously, COVID has really shaken things up. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I'd also like to jump in and do a little bit more acting again here and there. I took a, I took some time off and uh, I ended up taking more time off than I thought I was going to, like, you know, three decades. So, um, so I had fun doing Bill and Ted. I'll probably jump back and do some more of that. Oh, that's great news. That is great news. Yeah. Um, and also, any news on a freaked DVD or Blu-ray release? Do we need to start a fan <laughs> campaign? Honestly, we've been trying really hard. It's very difficult. And, and now that Disney bought out Fox, like the contacts we had are gone. And we kind of had to start all over again. And it'll, it'll happen. There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of people who want it. It's just, honestly, bureaucracy. And there's no one doing anything wrong. There's no you know adversaries we have to fight. We literally don't have any points of contact at the moment. Um, so we're working on that. And I do believe that we'll crack that and get that out. Oh, man, that would be um, fantastic. We're not going to give up. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Alex, uh, on behalf of all the fans, thank you for the incredible run with Bill and Ted. Thank you for your incredibly informative documentaries. I mean, yeah. from downloaded through Panama Papers, Trust Machine, uh, Showbiz Kids. Yeah. I mean, can't wait to see Zappa. Um, Great. It's all been very informative, uh, very entertaining, and, and we really, really yeah. appreciate it. Great. Well, likewise, it's uh, you know, it's good to be here, and uh, I'm glad that everybody, uh, especially in San Dimas, stuck it out and uh, <laughs> for us to get our act together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Alex Winter. Yep. yep. Thanks, Alex. Right. Bye. I'll Bye. See you guys. Man, Alex Winter. What can you say? I don't even remember what I said, dude. <laughs> you were glorious. Listen, you lifted us up. Your Zappa knowledge carried us through that. I mean, um, really well done. We, we talked about Zappa. Man. So JT, I, I, I normally don't get starstruck. You know, we've, we've grown up in Nashville. We've seen famous musicians. Hell, I talked to John Paul Jones at the cannery one night. You know what I mean? Hey, Johnny Cash once tussled my hair. So I get it. I get it. But yeah. You, you you put me in front of uh, you know a movie star and and two of my favorite movies that I've watched countless times in my bedroom. Which movies? <laughs> <laughs> no man, uh, man. Uh, first off, so cool that he gave us some time. Yeah. Um, you know he gets the award for providing the greatest amount of content mm -hmm. of anybody out there for 2020. Yeah. Um, we got Showbiz Kids. We got Bill and Ted Face the Music. And then on the 27th? Yeah, we got Zappa coming we get out. Zappa. Yeah. yeah. Which is going to be really cool. Really cool. Man, uh, so and speaking of Zappa, just, just to tag on here at the end, because we're looking forward to this film. Yep. Um, love Alex's uh, directorial work. Zappa's a fascinating character. I've never been anywhere near as into his music as you are. And Sure, you know, sure. It, Obviously, been a guitar player for a long time. Yes. And uh, he's one of my favorite guitar players. Mm -hmm. Uh, we both, you know, got into him about the same time through the same album. Right, right. I believe, Sheik Your Booty, yep. which uh, is his most commercially successful record. Which I, I can totally buy. I mean, like, you know, when it comes to music, I'm, I'm more like the three-minute, you know, guy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those songs are structured like, you know, regular pop songs, even if they're really weird and mm -hmm. perverse and stuff. So, sure. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm familiar with that one. I've heard it a hundred yeah. times. I, I I've owned it on various formats. Other than that, I'd had a hard time getting into them. I still kind of do. You gave me some homework. Gave sure, me three songs. sure. So yeah, gave you three songs that I feel like I'm not saying they're my favorite three Zappa songs, but I I think they're three of his best songs uh, for their point in time for mm -hmm. his catalog. Provide pretty good entry points, I think, for some folks. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the thing with Frank Zappa 
the man made 60 some albums in his lifetime. Uh, 50 have been put out posthumously. Wow. So that's over a hundred albums worth of material. That's crazy. I feel like there's could be something for everyone in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something for everyone that will turn you completely off. I think, <laughs> 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 which yeah. is fair. You right. know, um, I, I, I think, uh, a genius, and I would call him a genius, a uh, genius composer, genius guitar player of that magnitude, you know, is going to be controversial sure. no matter what. Well, also, I mean, he was kind of a gadfly to the state, right? I mean, he he, he had that Andy Kaufman type thing where he was an agitator. Sure. He, he would do high art and it would be amazing. But with, with these three songs, I found something incredibly beautiful in all three of them, something very compelling, but also some something on the surface that made it like hard for me to get into. And that clearly intentional you know like right. it's clearly this overlaying thing that that's trying to make the good stuff hard to get to and if you're really really into what's there that can be uh, really rewarding and if you're mm-hmm. not quite there it can be difficult to to crack sure so with with the with the songs that i gave you videos what have you i think uh i sent you really one performance video and then a couple of just you know there's no no real video right, it's just right. the songs yeah um Started off with Inca Roads, Mm -hmm. which is the first track off of One Size Fits All, which was performed by, I'd say, his third iteration of the Mothers of Invention, which really they were just the mothers at that point. Um, You had the original Mothers of Invention in the mid-60s. And then this Inca Roads, that's really where he started putting bands together. The original Mothers was, was more or less, you know, the band he ended up in and what he had to work with. Then he got to a point where he could pick and choose okay. who he wants in his band, right? And, and so at that point, he's going even more into like composer mode, trying to put together the, these units that really work well together. Sure, sure. Yeah. And the stories of his auditions, uh, you know, it's the stuff of, of, of legend, of myth, you know, uh, how rigorous they were. Okay. When he would put a band together, they would rehearse for two or three months like nine to five every day so that by the time they were going out on the road, mm-hmm. they didn't have to think about what they were doing, you know? Yeah. And it's such complicated music. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular performance um, was from a stint he did at the Roxy, which uh, led to One Size Fits All, Roxy and Elsewhere. I- I'd say this band did two or three albums um, for Frank. Uh, features Ruth Underwood. Mm-hmm who Alex talked about is yep. basically stealing the show in the Zappa documentary. Okay. Okay. Uh, a, a fantastic multi-instrumentalist, uh, mostly known for her vibes playing, yeah. which is just unreal. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, that video you sent, I mean, like <laughs> she was clearly, clearly just astoundingly talented. Right. And you have uh, <clears throat> a drummer in that band of Chester Thompson, who went on to great jazz acclaim. He actually lives here in Nashville. Uh, got to meet him a few nice. months ago yeah. at, at a pre-COVID, uh, the last pre-COVID jazz show I, can, I got to go to. I can to. see you blushing through your mask. <laughs> You're so excited about this. I love it. I love it. But I, the reason I sent you that one is I think that is sort of the quintessential live performance. That's my favorite band of his. He's the only guitar player at that time in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it really showcases his talent as a guitar player, uh, along with maybe having the most talented band around him. Um, I'm sure he would probably say different, but <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's my favorite. That video also featuring uh, a lot of the claymation from Bruce Bickford. Oh yeah, uh, that 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 uh, collaborated with Frank for a while. Uh, love that record. Uh, you know, it, it it's definitely extended guitar solo era Zappa, uh, which I think he honestly gets underrated as a guitar player. Uh, that the composing kind of overshadows yep, that. Sure, uh, but he is a ripping blues player. You know, okay. um, he 
throws down riffs on the guitar that I would compare to John Coltrane on the saxophone. That's so. That's faint praise, man. You know, fight, <laughs> fight me, internet, fight me. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on that? Was it just a little too much for you? It wasn't too much. I mean, like it, once I got into it, I was like, okay, this is this is really a comp. It, it's thick. It mm-hmm. is thick. I mean, it it is it is like cut the cut the smog in the air with a knife thick, but it's really well done. I mean, it mm-hmm. sounds great. I would need to like hang out and sure. listen to that in a dark room, like, <laughs> not be a forty-two-year-old man with two kids, you know, right, and, like right. to really enjoy it. But it was good. It it was absolutely good. It it did not like turn me off at all. It wasn't like oh god, I need to step away from Zappa. Let, let me let me just say, let's get a phone booth. Let's go back to nineteen ninety-eight. Okay, uh, we'll sit down on our our buddy Eric Lenning's couch mm-hmm. and we'll give it another spin. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so the second song I sent. This is off of the very first Zappa Mothers of Invention record, Freak Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in 1966. Very important record for a lot of things. It is the second rock and roll double album ever released. Really? And a lot of people call it the very first rock concept album. Sgt. Pepper's would not come out for another year. Wow. And the Beatles even name-checked Zappa as an influence on that album. Wow. And the, the particular song was Trouble Every Day. Which actually, there's several iterations of this song throughout the years for Zappa, um, but this first version was basically an immediate reaction to the Watts riots. Yeah, and I think that uh, so much of that song obviously rings true for what's going on right now. It was frightening listening to that song, and like I, I looked at it, I, I started playing. I'm like, okay, this is five minutes, and then like there are clear lyrics, and I'm picking. I'm like, oh, this is prescient. This is yeah. This is a song for 2020, and by God. I mean, it, it, incredible protest song, incredible, like, uh, I mean, it, it's a good song, but yeah. also, like, it, it's got real meaning behind it and a real type of anger that's visceral. Sure. And and I think it, you know, that's one of the first examples of sh- that, that he would show us time and time again throughout his career about how far ahead of his time he really was, how forward thinking he was, mm-hmm. whether it's, it's, it's uh, civil rights in the 60s or, you know, criticizing, uh, 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 you know, church and government in the 80s and mm-hmm. his political activism that he kind of grew yep. into. Yep. I can't stress enough how great his autobiography is. Yeah. The real Frank Zappa book and and would, you know, I would tell you, uh, listeners out there, if you're not even a fan of his, I think you'll find something to connect with in that book. I think his point of view is, is a very important one. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. it, I've not read the entire book people have passed along passages to me like throughout the past 20 years of my life. I'm like, Hey, have you checked out what Zappa said here from his book? Pass it on. And it's always enlightening. And he's another one of those guys where even if he is, you know, his music is maybe built to agitate a little bit, his clarity in writing and his point of view is so clear. It, it's, mm-hmm. he's a statesman. Yeah. You know? Yep. And then finally, yeah, I sent you uh, watermelon and Easter hay, which, uh, I, I would say for all intents and purposes is the crown jewel of, of guitar from Frank Zappa. Um, it is the closing number on Joe's Garage. Mm-hmm. Which, the album where he, he's wearing blackface, right? Uh, on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, which I think is just supposed to be like tar from a mop. I don't think that that was, there was any sort of intention okay. of, of trying to come off as an African-American yeah. on that cover. Well, it was interesting having that one as the third one because there was a line in the 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 second song that you had me listen to. And he's like, you know, um, I'm not black, but, but there's, a, there's a whole lot of times I wish I could say I'm not white. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then the next thing I see is... 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that song, I about turned off within the first 30 seconds because it's just him whispering stuff. Oh, it, and it, right. Clearly part of a larger picture for the album. Sure, sure. But it, w- it was like nails on a chalkboard. Sure. But then he, he stops and the music starts and yep. it, it's it's beautiful. That right there is the narration as the central scrutinizer. The album is a rock opera. Okay. Uh, centers around this guy named Joe living in uh, basically a, a world where music has been outlawed. Uh, it's illegal to play guitar. And from everything I gather, gathered, Joe's Garage was a reaction by Frank Zappa to super militant governments, uh, uh, in particular Islamic governments at the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, this album came out in 79. Okay. Um, right? You had yeah. you had uh, Carter, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Iran uh, hostage crisis going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Zappa, one of, the, one of his great causes was, uh, was, was to promote arts. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked very hard in a post-Cold War uh, to make sure that countries on the other side of the wall uh, could have their arts programs restored. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where James Baker and Dan Quayle of the U.S. government actually intervened and prevented Zapper from working with uh, what is now known as the Czech Republic. Okay. Um, and that that's Zappa was trying to work with them to promote trade to uh, to finance, you know, arts in that country, and then due to politics, um, crazy. Uh, but that that's that particular song, Watermelon Easter Hay, also featured at the end of, of a great film called E2 Mama Tambian. Oh, so it it, it, okay. it right when the credits hit at the yeah. end, that oh, song, nice. and it comes right in on that guitar note, oh. so you don't have to deal with the citrus <laughs> scrutinizer narration. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. He's he's still like he, my hope for this film is that it opens up uh, my world to Zappa a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fascinated with him as a as a, a person and as a personality and a force of nature. I'd like to know more about his music, but it's still like even after these songs, it's it, it's still hard for me to get into. Sure, and sure. I, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm kind of in the mainstream there. It's just hard to reach in and grab. Yeah. And we've seen all of Alex's documentaries, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think if anything, that's what he's going to show us is is that this guy is interesting uh, on a level that. I think most people will find interesting whether you like his music or not. Sure. And it says something about the interest in the film that it was the number one kickstarted film of all time. Right. You know? Yeah. That's huge. That is huge. Those Zappa fans are rabid, my friend. <laughs> rabid. <laughs> and evidently filthy rich, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's great. That was a neat little experiment. Then you know, it's, it's always fun to show you music that I like. You know, we vice versa. We've gone back and forth over the years. I can safely say that... My taste in music uh, wouldn't be the same without you. Same here, buddy. Same here. For sure. For sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, every time we talk about Zappa, I'm reminded of that one Onion article. You know, your friend who's really into Zappa just insists that you haven't heard the right album yet. <laughs> I'm still maintaining that. Yeah. I'm still maintaining that. <laughs> it's not been disproven yet. So. <laughs> Uh, we got to thank Michael Eads for setting that Alex Winter interview up. Uh, great oh, producer. Man, he is just... Setting them up and we're knocking them down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are. I mean, kudos to us, really. <laughs> no, we, could, we couldn't do this without him. No. No. So thank you, Michael. Thank you. We own this down. And uh, thank you, Scott Bricklin. Mm-hmm. What would our podcast be without our theme song, Walk Away? Nothing. It yeah. would be nothing. Um, so thank you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> love that song every time. Yeah. Every time. It gets me jazzed up. We, Kelly hits the play button on that and then I'm just raring to go. 
You know what? I would have loved to have heard a Frank Zappa version of Walk Away. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> JT, in these strange and uncertain times, man, be excellent to each other. And uh, party as safely as you can. On, dudes. <laughs> Is there a wave? Looking for a wave. <laughs> Looking for a wave. Hello, hello, hello. Do you hear? Whoa. I'm assuming that was too loud. Is, that, is, that, is your phone, your phone muted? muted? It should be. I did connect with audio. audio. It says, like, it's, like, it's asking me to join audio. Join audio. <laughs> Go ahead and head out to the background. Um, well, I can still hear it clipping. That's very loud. Whoa, yeah. I'm leaving the No, what about now? Nope. Why is that so loud? How loud is your computer, Kelly? How loud is your computer? Oh, oh. Hello? 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 Hello?